Let's, uh, let's stand together, uh, and uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 107, a message I call, He Breaks My Chain. Psalm 107, uh, verse 10, those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and into the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. May God bless the reading of His Word today is my prayer. You may be seated. We're going to have some fun this morning. <laughs> this is a great passage. Uh, this text is one of four times in Psalm 107 uh, that the psalmist mentions crying out to the Lord. And the first of them we saw last week in verse 6, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses, and He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Verse 19, we'll see next week, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Verse 28, Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. This is a great psalm with some great, great messages for all of us. Uh, remind you today that every one of these stanzas of this psalm has a then and a they. Then they cried unto the Lord. The then speaks of their circumstances. The they speaks of the people who are in those circumstances. The then they cried unto the Lord. And it's our task then to read in the psalm and consider just exactly what the then and the they uh, really refer to. It's not hard. You can see them. He describes them then in the darkness of rebellion. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God. You know, throughout the Scripture, the darkness is used to refer to those who are outside the realm of the Word of God. The darkness is particularly identified as the abode of people uh, who are in rebellion or in a state of rebellion against God or at enmity with God, as the Bible describes it. A state of hostility exists between uh, a sinful man and a holy God. And those who are not right with God, those who do not have Jesus Christ in their life are pictured as being in the darkness. And the Bible talks about this over and over and over and over again. There's no way we could exhaustively cover this morning all of the passages that speak of whether a person is in the darkness or in the light. Uh, but I'm going to do my best. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that believeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What a wonderful promise Jesus gives to us in that passage. I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you'll not be walking in darkness. 
that you'll have the light of life. This light then will be in you. It will become a part of you so much so that Jesus would actually refer to us, his followers, as the light of the world. He would say, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But then he would also say, you are the light of the world. And a city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. And so the light that Jesus has is then reflected in all of our life. We're not the sun. We don't produce the light. We're the moon. We reflect it. But that light is in us because Jesus is in us. And He shines through us. John chapter 3 and verse 18, He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is Jesus speaking. And this is the condemnation. That, not light, but the light, the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Jesus himself then describes the light of believing on him. Describes himself as the light of the world and warned of the awful darkness of unbelief. As you go on through the New Testament, we'll find it referenced. Colossians 1.12 is a great one. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. The old King James had that He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transported us, translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And being an old Star Trek fan, every time I read that passage, I thought, beam me up, Scotty. Poor old Scotty, I don't think she can take it, sir. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. That goes on all the time up here. <clears throat> we have been delivered from the realm, the domain, the dominion of darkness. And we have been translated, moved, conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love, the kingdom of light. There can be no doubt then that the darkness is used to describe those who have not received Christ as their Savior. And the psalmist in our text describes three things this darkness does. First of all, the darkness is paralyzing. Notice he says, they sit in darkness, those who sat in darkness. In a state of total darkness, it's impossible to find your way around. One of the most helpful inventions of, of, of the world right now, modern invention, is that marvelous thing called GPS. And one of the things that makes it so great is it always tells you where you are. And the reason why that's important is because those of us who grew up trying to navigate their way through life with that paper thing called a map, Realize that sometimes one of the hardest things you can do is figure out where you are. Because if you don't know where you are, a map is worthless to you. But the GPS, you see, always tells us where we are. And if we can figure that out, then we can see, okay, I need to go here and there. And now you can just type in your destination. It'll take you where you want to go. But man, if they ever turn that thing off, I guarantee you a lot of you young folks are going to be in a mess. 
I've rode around with you. I know how you are. <laughs> well, the psalmist speaks of people as sitting in the darkness. They don't know where they are. They're paralyzed in fear. John chapter 12 and verse 35, Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. And most of the time they sit down because they don't know where they are. They can't see where they're going, have no idea which direction to go. Darkness is paralyzing. The darkness is also a precarious place. It's a very dangerous place. When he speaks of them as being in the shadow of death, not only sitting in darkness, but in the shadow of death, that is an expression often used in Scripture. Now, we don't usually think of our shadow very much in our modern world, and I don't know when the last time you thought about your shadow was. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Usually we're trying to take a picture and our shadow's in the way, and we're having to move around. Okay, I'm going to get it on this side. But uh, those ancient people thought about it a lot. And when they talked about being in the shadow of death, that means that there was death that was really close to them in the length of their shadow. Their, uh, uh, just a, a slight misstep could be fatal. And a lot of those trails that they followed were just that way. In fact, there's a place in Israel that is known as the Valley of the Shadow uh, because it is so steep and so precarious that the slightest misstep could plunge you uh, to certain injury, if not death. The Valley of the Shadow. David talked about walking through it. There are times when death is near. And I want you to know that in the darkness of unbelief is a very dangerous place to be. Generations of God's people have warned us that as death finds us, eternity claims us. And life is precarious. It can be gone in an instant. And living then in unbelief has death, not just physical death, but eternal death, just a shadow away. It's always there. And if death takes you in unbelief, then you fall under the eternal judgment of God. And isn't it interesting that Jude refers to this in Jude 13 as the blackness of darkness forever. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought hell was a burning place of fire. It is, but it's not any kind of fire that you and I know about because, number one, it can cause spiritual torment to only the souls of men. And number two, this fire doesn't put off light, only darkness. The darkness, spiritual darkness. In a sense, if you think about it, it's fitting. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. That's what they chose. You say, how can God then, how can God, a loving God, send a person to hell? Listen, people choose the darkness. They make that decision. They love the darkness rather than light. They choose it for themselves. And that's exactly what it gives them, the torment, the pain, the darkness of sin forever. Every day you live in the darkness of unbelief is a day of terrible danger. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. 
have no idea what the darkness is doing to them. It is paralyzing. It is precarious. Then the darkness is also powerful. Verse 10, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death bound in afflictions and irons. And the psalmist then describes the fact that there is a binding, imprisoning power at work in the darkness. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 53, Jesus said to a group of people, this is your hour and the power of darkness. There's power in the darkness. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. There's that passage again. There is power in the darkness. And right now in this service, you may be sitting there as an unbeliever, or right now as a believer, you may be thinking about somebody else, and they, have, they are in the midst of the darkness. And you say, you know, it just seems like that darkness is grabbing onto them and holding onto them. Like it wants to keep them. It does. There's a power in the darkness. It imprisons people. Not behind literal bars, although it can. But the bars of the mind and the bars of the heart and the bars of the soul. Sin puts shackles on our hands and feet and brings us into bondage. And the power of the darkness is an enslaving, imprisoning, binding power. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Notice, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The God of this world is the devil himself. And he is operating to blind the minds of people to the truth of the gospel. And he's very good at what he does. You see, the rebellion against God's truth and the rejection of his son is not a passive decision to reject the power of the light the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to accept and embrace the power of the one that Jesus warned us against the the one that Paul calls the God of this world no wonder he calls on believers to put on the whole armor of God and one of the chief features of that in Ephesians chapter 6 is the helmet of salvation Because he says, we are wrestling against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It's a spiritual battlefield out there. And we're not going to engage in that battle with the weapons of, of the flesh. You say you wouldn't need willpower. Your willpower is not strong enough. You're dealing with the eternal forces of evil. They don't get tired. We do. They don't wear down. We do. We then don't put on carnal weapons. We put on spiritual weapons. But listen, it starts with the helmet of salvation. We've got to have 
the helmet of salvation. Yes, we need the breastplate of righteousness for our heart. Yes, we need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Yes, we do. We need them all. We need our feet shod uh, with the gospel of peace <laughs> so that wherever we go, we're leaving gospel tracks wherever we are. I'm telling you, it's just wonderful. Uh, yes, we need the belt of truth. We sure do. It's what holds the whole armor together, truth. Truth with ourselves, truth with other people. Yes, but you can't put on that spiritual armor unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't know Him as your Savior, you're in that precarious darkness. And you don't have anything to help you. Sin may have its thrills. I'll give you that. We all know that. I don't have to give it to you. But the darkness of unbelief that goes with it is paralyzing and precarious and powerful. If you're lost in this service today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The darkness has you in its domain and it wants to keep you. Then he goes on. It's not just you see the darkness of rebellion. But it is also the disability of rejection. Look in verse 10. Those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. When you reject Jesus Christ, and you go down the path of darkness and rejection and rebellion when you refuse the counsel of God that says, walk in this way. When you refuse that, there's some hard work in your future. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. Why did he tell us that? Because the truth is, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15 says, that the way of transgressors is hard. The way of transgressors is hard. It might seem easy for a little while. For a while. Uh, the darkness might give you a downhill slope to say, man, this is easy. But at last, there's that crushing weight that the sin and darkness brings as it has you bound. There's some commentaries that suggest that the psalmist had the story of Samson in mind when he wrote these passages and it could very well be I can't prove that to you the text doesn't say that but we all know what happened to Samson Samson had a good mama and a good daddy the angel of God appeared to his mama and told him or told her that she was going to have a baby she hadn't been able to have one and the, the angel of the Lord told her, Now, you're, this is going to be a man that's consecrated unto me from the day of his birth, and even from the womb. And so he said, While you're expecting this child, you don't drink any strong drink. You don't even eat grapes or drink grape juice. Nothing. 
Because this man is going to be consecrated to me all the days of his life. Don't ever cut his hair. Don't ever shave his face. I don't know what kind of holiness there was in hairiness, but there was something. In Samson's case, he's going to be consecrated to me. Don't ever shave his head. Don't ever, ever let him drink alcohol. Well, you know the story of Samson. Samson turned into a playboy. Uh, I mean, seriously, he did. He, was, uh, uh, he didn't keep his responsibility, didn't keep his vow. Still, the, the mighty power of God came upon him. I love that story that they say that, you know, Samson uh, uh, was set upon by the Philistines. I'll get it out in a minute. And uh, <laughs> he came across that fresh carcass of a donkey that had just died. And, and he grabbed up the, the, the jawbone <laughs> of that donkey carcass. Kind of a smelly situation. Uh, but that wasn't even getting started good because he took that jawbone and killed a thousand of the Philistines. A thousand men died when he picked up a jawbone of a donkey. Can you imagine what would have happened had Samson been the man of God that he intended for him to be? Can you imagine what would have happened if he had actually led an army and picked up a sword? The Philistines wouldn't have survived. They'd have all been wiped out. Samson had such supernatural power on his life, there is no telling what he could have done if it had just been what God told him to be. He did a lot anyway. There's a message in that, but that's another day. Samson met a lady named Delilah. I use that term rather loosely. Delilah. Told her the secret of his strength, which was his hair. They cut his hair off. They bound him put his eyes out and hooked him up to a grindstone like an ox. Many a preacher has preached on Samson's life and talked about the blinding, binding, grinding power of sin. I can't tell you that the psalmist didn't have that story in mind when he talked about how that God gives you a heavy load to pull around when you're dealing with sin and you'll, you'll not bear up under it. You'll break down under it. And you say, well, that's not very nice. Well, that's not even the end because not only did it break down, did they break down under the load of what sin had put them under, but when they did, there was none to help Sin and the practice of evil does terrible things to the human heart. Some will sink down in a horrible state of antagonism toward God and all things godly and they will fill their heart up with hardness and hate. Some close themselves off from the truth of God and their heart is locked up so tightly. Others sink down into the abyss of hopelessness and if they don't give up altogether and take their own life, they sink down into the depths of depression and that often brings all kinds of physical, emotional symptoms and sometimes through self-medication it makes their situation even worse. By self-medication, let me be quick to say, 
that a lot of times when people's heart is broken, they turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs and pills, trying anything to help them feel better, not realizing there's something so deceptive in this that though it might give them a temporary relief, it's going to pull them right back down into it and make it worse. At the last, it leaves alone. There was none to help. The prodigal son had a crowd with him as long as he was paying for the parties. But when the money was gone, the crowd was gone. Sooner or later then, God brings a person to that broken-hearted bitterness of sinful rebellion. He said, now wait a minute, preacher. I thought we was going to have fun today. <laughs> I'm about to get to the fun part. I need to remind you this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news, but the reason why it's the good news is because bad news exists. The good news is defined particularly as that Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine, that he was butchered to death on the cross, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. But how can we make such a story as that? Good news. It's because of the bad news. He died for your sins and mine. I was a sinner. I was bound in darkness. I was helpless. I could not find my way out. Didn't know which way to go. Didn't know which way to turn. I was living under the power and the dominion and the domain of darkness. And so were all of you. And so are all of you. And some of you may still be there today. But the good news is that the gospel is real. The good news is that Jesus died to deliver you from the domain of darkness. The question is, how do we get in on it? I'm glad you asked because even the psalmist knew all the way back in those days, verse 13, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and broke their chains in repentance. So that as we follow the psalm, not only do we see the darkness of rebellion and the disability of rejection, but we see the delight of repentance. They cried unto the Lord. There they are sitting in the darkness, paralyzed by fear, precarious dangers all around them, the power of darkness binding them and blinding them and the burden of sin grinding on them and breaking them down. But then suddenly... There in the darkness, broken down, ground down on the bottom. They get along with God. Sometimes it takes extraordinary lengths for God to get us down far enough to where there's nowhere to look but up. Why? Is there such a grinding and binding power to sin? Why do we have to get down so far? Well, mainly because we're a stubborn bunch. We are. We think we can handle it. We like our sin. Remember, that's what he said. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They love the darkness. And there's something in your fallen sinful humanity. There's something in my fallen sinful humanity that, that likes the darkness and wants to stay in it. And we figure that we can buck the odds, we can beat the Bible, and we can make this thing work. We are stubborn. And we'll fight till we don't have anything left to fight with. 
You say, well, why does God do this to us? He doesn't. Sin does. Sin is the what blinds us. Sin is what puts us in the darkness. Sin is what's grinding us down. Sin is what puts us down on our face. Sin is what makes us feel so isolated and alone. God doesn't have to do anything. Just let stubbornness and sin do its work. You might remember that billboard used to be up on the uh, Highway 30 bridge as you're going over uh, the river there in Little Rock. And it said something I've never forgotten. Every time I looked at it, I smiled because it said this year, and it had a list how many thousand men said will die of stubbornness. And every time I thought of that, I said, only God knows how many people are going to go to hell because of stubbornness. Stubbornness. Stubbornness is really just an expression of pride. We say stubborn because we're a little bit more comfortable with that. But the fact is, it's just really an expression of pride. But God has a way of getting us down to where it's just us and Him. And incredible things happen when you call on Him. Now, I could have gone all over the Bible for the next few verses that I'm going to show you, but I just stayed in one book. Just one book. And it's in the Old Testament. It's the book of Isaiah. But I want to show you some of the things that Isaiah says that happened to us when we call on the Lord. Look at Isaiah 9 and 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressors in the day of Midian. He's not done yet. Isaiah 42 and 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. <laughs> How about that passage? I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes and to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. That's a messianic psalm. You say, you're right. It certainly is. It certainly is. It's a testimony to how Jesus makes us a light unto those around us. He's not even done yet. Isaiah 61, we love this one. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To give unto them... Beauty for ashes, he says, the oil of joy for the spirit of mourning. It is a sad thing in a way when you think about it. But sometimes we have to get down to where there's nothing left but ashes in order for God to build us up. But when we cry unto the Lord, oh, he delivers us. He delivers us. That is the joy, the rejoicing that comes, the delight that comes from repentance. You can have that delight today because the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. couple more passages and we're done. 
Because you see, when He saves us, make no mistake about it, the darkness is still there. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declared to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You see, God's people, saved people, can make that decision to go back and walk in darkness. But when we do, we don't forfeit our relationship with God, but we do forfeit our fellowship with God. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather expose them. For the child of God... Darkness really doesn't have anything for us. Nothing that bears good fruit bears fruit in the dark. Take your good fruit-bearing tree and stick it down in the basement, turn off the light, and see what happens to it. I think mold grows in the dark pretty good. I'm not sure what fruit it bears, but I know one thing. I don't want any part of it because it fills my sinuses up with mess. There's a lot of things in, in that, that kind of like the darkness. Roaches. Is that right? Don't they like the dark? Rats. That's another one. How about them? Bats. Bats. We don't care for that. We got a name for it. We call it vermin. And I'll admit flying squirrels are kind of cute. I'll admit. They, hey, they like the darkness too. But you don't even like a flying squirrel if it gets loose in your house. You'll hurt yourself trying to get rid of it, I'll tell you. Folks, there's nothing in the darkness that will help us. Nothing in the darkness that is for us, nothing in the darkness will improve our life. Nothing in the darkness will make us bear fruit to God. Everything in the darkness is set in deadly antagonism with us as God's people. It's no wonder the Bible says, walk as children of light. Find out the things that God approves of. We don't have to go searching on some magnificent quest because He's written them down for us in His Word and given us the power of the Holy Spirit so we know what is right and we know what's wrong. Find out those things that God approves of. Walk in them. Walk in the light as He is in the light and we have sweet fellowship then with God. So the danger of the darkness, you see, never really goes this way. It's so for there. You're in the light. You're a child of light. We never intend to really go and live in the darkness and we don't like to stay there forever. But sometimes, you know, we think about just a little foray, maybe a little tourist trip. Take a little vacation. 
there's nothing in the darkness that we need as God's people. It has nothing for us. It's going to hurt us. Everything that we do in the darkness, we're going to regret. It's not going to improve our life. It's going to make it worse. And it may destroy us. Walk as the children of light. Aren't you glad this morning that God makes it simple for us? It's the light or the darkness. The darkness is a place of pain and of struggle and of defeat and of sin and of darkness and of evil. It's a power that will enslave you and imprison you. But the good news of the gospel is is that the shackles of sin can no more hold on to you than the bars of the grave could keep him inside. The same Jesus that broke the bondage of death can break the power of sin in your life and deliver you and transfer you into the kingdom of His Son. Once you receive Christ today as your Savior, if as a believer, right there you know and God knows, you've been taking a trip over here on the dark side. You haven't lost your relationship with God. God still loves you. But you have lost your fellowship with God. And in your heart of hearts, you know it. You know it. John gave us a simple plan to follow. Confess our sin. He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God is so faithful. He loves us. He loves you. And the darkness doesn't win. Let's stand together, please.